This week, we'll talk about Data Mesh. We have a special guest today, Jemak. Jemak is a principal technology consultant at ThoughtWorks, and she's the inventor of Data Mesh, the thing we'll talk about today. So welcome. Thank you, Alexei. Thank you for having me. I have to just make a quick adjustment. Late last night, I did actually make an announcement that I have left ThoughtWorks and I have started a uh -huh. tech startup around Data Mesh, so, but we didn't get a chance to sync up. Okay, yes. But yes, I was a consultant at ThoughtWorks for over a decade. Yeah. The first question is, tell us about your career journey. You briefly mentioned a part of your career journey just now, but maybe we can go a little back and uh, you can tell us how it started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it has been a journey, as in I haven't stopped in one place, in one country or in one industry segment, and I have moved a lot. I have moved around. So I started as a software engineer, and I think I remember I was 14. Oh, I'm going too far back, but very quickly. I was 14. I lived in Iran, and it was a time of war between Iran and Iraq, and there were sanctions. So we weren't getting much into the country, not much getting out. And my, my dad went to UK on a work trip and bought a Commodore 64. And he came back with two basic programming books. And on top of one of them had a picture of a computer that was handing out coffee or something. And I thought, oh my God, the, you know, computers can do that. And yeah, so that since then I fell in love with programming. I became a software engineer later on. And for the first, I've been in the tech industry for 20, 24 something years, and more than the first half of that was dedicated to deep tech products and R&D. So I've done everything from firmware level, producing custom hardware in-house to large scale kind of distributed systems with where data was, you know, very important ingredient of the solution. We did largest scale critical infrastructure monitoring before streaming was a thing or analytics on streaming was a thing. We had a full stack system building it. And for the last 10 years, I came out of deep tech, I guess, across the board. I went to ThoughtWorks and worked with many larger scale kind of companies that run the real world, you know, infrastructure, communications, healthcare, and so on. And, and my focus has been mostly on distributed systems, initially on the microservices and how to scale computing and solutions, I guess, applications for organizations that are complex. And for the last five years, again, I made a transition, came this time to solve with data mesh, work with organizations to solve the complexity that surrounds data and surrounds getting value from data and surrounds empowering people autonomously to get value from data. And that led to kind of the hypothesis of data mission, building solutions around that. And as of a couple of weeks ago, I've decided to leave ThoughtWorks. I realized there is a gap really in the technology, mostly around enabling the experience of data folks, whether they're data producers or data consumers to have a very peer-to-peer -peer analytical data sharing model. And I've now started at very, very early days, a tech startup here in the Bay Area to, you know, new reimagine the developer experience and build the platform for it. Sounds like a lot of fun. It has been. Yeah. So I think you mentioned what you did as a principal technology consultant. So it was mostly consulting other companies, uh, consulting companies, how to extract value from their data, right? How they should design their systems in order to make it easier to extract value for them, right? Yes, and that involved all layers of stack. So sometimes people think consultants are those people that go and build a bunch of 
slight digs and wave their arms and leave the company with a pretty slight dig, but that's not the case for ThoughtWorks. So with ThoughtWorks, we did execution where companies needed to either introduce new capabilities or didn't have enough people and, and so on. So yes, I worked with my teams on building ground up data infrastructure, kind of data platform, and then on top of it, data products and MLAI use cases to take advantage of those data products. So you can imagine it as a more vertical slicing of all the layers of stack involved. So a customer would come to you saying, hey, it's a bit of a mess here. We cannot make any sense of data and what's going on. Can you please help us introduce some order? Right, and then you would say, okay, just use data mesh. Here is a book. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't usually. I hope it worked that way. It doesn't work that way. Customers usually come say, look, we've been trying this for a year. A lot of actually the hypothesis around data mesh came with these very specific questions. These are technologically very advanced companies here on the West Coast of US. That's where I was located. That's where I was meeting clients. And they will come and say, look, we've had a data strategy. We've done all of the on-prem, you know, past generation of Hadoop and so on. And then we went to cloud and we had a data strategy. We moved all of our data to some sort of a big data warehouse on the cloud. And we hired all of these new kind of data scientists, the head of, I don't know, personalization using AI. And these people are waiting and still not getting access to data they want, or if they build something, we can't really deploy. So it was the process of data to value and the value, whether being an applied ML model or being reports and dashboards that people can act upon, that process was full of friction, broken, and very, very long. So then the people are looking for always for silver bullets, right? What can you sell me so that you can solve all my problems? And then usually really the process of engaging is getting involved, seeing, okay, what are the use cases do you have in your organization? What are the friction points? Where are you in your maturity of technology? Do you have technical people in your organization to afford, you know, building some of these solutions and, and so on and so on. And after that discovery and assessment, you basically get in trenches with the organization to deliver use cases and value while building their infrastructure or the team structure, restructuring, and so on. And it's always a very, very tight collaboration. So does it have anything to do with data mesh and what actually data mesh is? <laughs> well, the only, I guess, connection of that past is that once you work at a level that you see a lot of similar problems repeat, you become a great pattern matcher. And the patterns of problems and then patterns of solutions emerge from these many touch points, right? So I think that's the, the hypothesis of data mesh came from seeing these repeating problems. And what data mesh is, is really an answer to some of the core challenges that we've had for a really long time, but they're becoming more pronounced because now we're talking about application of data beyond a bunch of BI reports in a BI team, right? We're talking about application of data in every function of our products or services. So the data mesh was really an alternative way to get value from data involving how we structure our teams, how we even imagine or share data 
the infrastructure and then the governance. So all of those pillars, and it's a decentralized approach. So it's based on giving autonomy to independent teams without compromising quality or integrity or connectivity. So it's a decentralized kind of socio-technical approach in managing, sharing, accessing data, particularly for analytical use cases at scale in an organization between different business units or tech units or across organizations. What it attempts to do is to remove this pipeline thinking that data constantly needs to move to a pipeline, gets put in a pile, thrown processing or metadata and semantic and so on added, and then throw processing at it to get value from it. It really challenges that paradigm because that paradigm is <laughs> the, the time from data to value is very long. And it says, okay, how can we decouple these pipelines into smaller, self contained units that encapsulate whether it's a tiny pipeline or some sort of a computation and data and metadata with data sharing APIs that allows you as a data user, the ML engineer or data analyst to analyze this directly peer-to-peer without a middle layer of a data team, directly access this data and run your analytical workloads distributedly and have a direct relationship with the people who are actual producers of the data without a middleman. Yeah, so like you mentioned quite a few things and I think most of these things did not involve tools. It's more about like how exactly you structure your team, how you structure your process and how you build things rather than, okay, use this, this, this tool and you'll be good, right? So it's about more like how you exactly plan your work, how you organize work. Yeah, absolutely. But also how you organize your architecture, right? Mm -hmm. Honestly, it pains me when people say, oh, here is a database. Like here's a bunch of tables in a warehouse. Go knock yourself out and get value from data because that's a very tightly coupled, fragile way of using data that data cannot change. The, the contracts that exist today for data sharing with a giant you know, pile of files or tables in a lake is a very tightly coupled and fragile contract between a data producer and data user. So when you think about these autonomous, independently moving teams, building, sharing data, then it goes beyond just the team to say, okay, what is the future of data sharing contracts between these entities? What is the future of data computation? What is the future of governance? So then it really very quickly leaks into your architectural thinking and very quickly leaks into, okay, what kind of tool can I reintegrate in this new model? Mm -hmm. So it's not only about every team doing things independently, but also keeping like the big picture in mind and also introducing some standards. Okay, like if you want to use data, like you have to have some sort of documentation. It shouldn't be just a bunch of tables that nobody knows how to use, but like a proper set of documents that describe what is there, how to use it and so on, right? Absolutely. I mean, you said a key word there that I want to double click on, which is big picture thinking. Right now, the big picture that I see over and over put on diagrams, whether it's the architecture diagram, technology vendor diagram, is about a big picture that is organized with this pipeline thinking. So the big picture we want to shift to is a mesh model, is a 
kind of a graph model in a way that value is generated through the links between these data products, through the interactions and exchange of value between these data products. And unless we be able to see that big picture, we can't really make any changes. You can't say like, I'll just make a change in one team and that will give value because no, value is, you know, the formula is like N times N minus one over two is a number of interconnectivity and exchange of information between the nodes. And nodes, of course, are architectural concepts and people. Yeah, so that's super key. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I took a look at the table of contents of your book. I don't think I actually mentioned that you wrote a book about data mesh. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I took a look at the book, at the table of contents. And uh, yeah, it's organized like what kind of data mesh principles are there. So the first principle was domain ownership. And I think it's related to the thing we discussed that teams work independently. So there are units, maybe domain units. So can you tell us what is a domain and what is this principle about? Sure. So just a before answering that question, step back for a minute. I started writing and talking about data mesh by first principles, by stating first principles. And that was very key because in today's world, we are thrown at so many tools and technologies that remove the ability for us to think for ourselves and constantly being reshaped by, you know, hand-fed, use this tool and magic will happen. And I really wanted to take a different approach. So you're right that I started with this first principle and said, okay, if we agreed on these first principles, then each organization can come up with a novel and new way of bringing these principles to life. And the implementations of data which may look very different. And through that generation of ideas in terms of implementation, the great ones bubble up, right? So that was the purpose of it. There four principles, and all of them work together. And there is a reason there are four, and we can talk about that after. The domain ownership principle is about aligning data work, data generation, data consumption with a group of people. So there's like the domain is one. And the domain is often is an aspect of your business that some business person is thinking about has a specific set of languages, words, vocabulary, and an outcome so that we want to organize the data sharing model or data generation model in a way that each of these business units that are the direct producers or direct consumers of the data can work independently and yet interoperate. So let's describe that with an example. So in, in the book, I use a hypothetical digital streaming company called Adef, but you can imagine it's Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music. So if you have a business team and a tech team aligned with it, that their job is generating playlists, automatically curated playlists, the outcome of that team, that business domain of playlists, is to really give an immersive experience and personalized experience to the listener. So then that team with that outcome has a set of data that is generating, which is automatic, classified, personalized, targeted playlist of music. And that team to do that, and let's say that's a machine learning model, to do that requires data from other business domains. So there is a business team that is thinking about 
you know, the best class digital experience. So they're building the music players. So they're a source of data, which is their play events or play sessions, how a user is interacting with that player device. There is a team, business team that is objective is onboarding more listeners. As part of their onboarding process, they have more information about the profile of their listener, maybe their age, maybe not exactly individuals, that gets too creepy, but as the distribution of the listeners, like what are where each country and geographical location. So all of this information can be directly consumed by this business team. So people get confused when I talk about domain. Really, domain is just if you zoom out and look at your business and the various objectives of your business. And if you're a modern digital business, you probably have technical teams aligned with those business objectives and business units, right? So in case of like daffing, let's go through a few of those. So you have your listener, probably listener team that's onboarding customers. You have your artists management. So people that are managing the artists that are coming on the platform. You have your artist payment, people that pay. So these are all business function domains and they all generate data and they all generate tech and they consume data. So we want to data production data sharing model aligned with this unit. And the reason for it is that this model then scales out. As you create more business functions or you expand, you grow your business into new areas, well, I'm going to create a new domain. Let's say we decided to work with partners as this company. We're going to work with, I don't know, these yoga studios to play their music or this Peloton or cycling. So then you bring a partner team and then they have data capabilities internally and they're responsible again for sharing the data and consuming data from others for their data-driven solutions. Maybe I'm jumping a bit ahead because I haven't heard the other principles. So you mentioned all these different teams like music player team, artist management team, onboarding team. I don't know what was there also partners team, right? Yes. So let's say each of these teams has a schema in our data warehouse and they just publish data there in this schema. Would it be a data measure? It's too early to call it that. So there are, I guess, levels of maturity in terms of getting there. So you might start with saying, look, we're going to still have a centralized warehouse, but we're going to try to give some organization to how we structure the files or tables within this warehouse and structure the schemas. And that might be a good start, but it's not going to give you the outcome that you want. The outcome that you want is a very loosely coupled model of data sharing so that the playlisting can change their schema, that can change their data, that can almost near real time sharing this information without really breaking anybody else. So the data warehousing model of data modeling interconnecting data so that correlations can be discovered and queries over multiple data sets can be executed. Mm-hmm. It's a very fragile, again, is a tightly coupled model. So you exactly know what table and what columns. And if that if you change that column or change that schema, you know, your solutions that are doing cross team or cross, you know, schema correlations become broken. And in addition to that, if we want to remove any sort of friction in terms of discovery, in terms of understanding, there's a lot more involved in data sharing than a schema and a bunch of tables. You've got to share 
all of the other real time, and when I say real time, I don't really mean events, but things that are real time can change. And we want to share that, which is, okay, these are the guarantees of my data product. Like I update this monthly or every second or every millisecond, or I, the integrity of it, this is a, you know, near real time data product, but it's actually has low integrity. It has missing information. It has duplicates, gets reconciled nightly. So there's a level of additional information that needs to be provided. And I'm frankly, I'm not sure a data warehouse, data technologies, the way we had is the best way Mm-hmm. to share that information because they're built with a very different set of assumptions. But they can, what you just described could be a good starting point. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking about this scenario. So the playlist team needs to access data from the music player team and then from onboarding team, right? Yeah. And if it's just one data warehouse, then it's just a join, right? So then you have this data here sitting in this table in this schema then you have a, another table sitting in this schema you just do a join and then you have your data but in case it's distributed and everyone has their own tools have data warehouses whatever they have then making these joins become a lot more difficult right so how do they do this do they pull data first to their intermediate storage from this team then from this team and then they do join and then they also need to make sure that they actually have something to join on, like there is a common key. Yeah, exactly. Like how, how does it happen in practice? Yeah, so there are different levels of complexity and we have to decide what are we optimizing for. So far, what I'm seeing with our solutions and the biases that we have is mostly about optimizing for machine performance, right? But if you're a really complex organization and In fact, you lose a lot of cycles to deliver value because you optimize too much for the machines. You have these very tightly integrated keys that you can't forever change. Then no matter how fast your machine is, your final outcome is suboptimal because those joins are not really delivering much value. Like you can't even build new use cases. So, So just to start by saying there is a, you know, a spectrum of where are we optimizing for and in the case that you just described, one might say, look, I'm doing data mesh within an organization. We happen to have standardized on some warehouse and for maybe all of our data users are happy to use the warehouse, which I find hard to believe, but let's assume that. And then you would say, okay, you know, at the physical layer, one way of getting access to this data from different domains is warehouse. And, but at the logical layer, when people request access, when they discover even which table to go to, there is a dynamic set of APIs that they have to call. So we can put a layer of indirection on top before you get even to the join to say, if you say, I want playlist, actually you call a different API that then would decide based on your version of the playlist you're requesting for which even table to go to. That is a possibility. On the other end of the spectrum, you're actually working with organizations that haven't standardized on one platform, one tech, or even take it to the next level, sharing data across organizations. It'd be crazy to say, hey, everyone, install this, go on the same platform, same cloud. It doesn't make sense. So we have to solve for that solution. So today, what we have, which is not great, but it's a stepping stone, we have like federated query engines, right? You can have tables in different data warehouses, and let's say you have that first layer APIs to redirect you to the right table and database and schema, and then you can run your 
query federated way and do your joins and do all of the things that you want to do. Yes, you are probably sacrificing some performance, even though those federated query engines are getting faster and faster. You're sacrificing some, you know, sub millisecond or sub second performance, but that is giving you a level of freedom and scale from the human perspective that you couldn't have before if everyone had to comply with the same, right? Everyone had to go on the same platform. And then there are modes of consuming data that has nothing to do with SQL, right? There are modes of consuming data that, I don't know, you're reading structured streaming of data frames. Yes, you push some of your competition up front to just bits of the data that you want, but you're bringing data to do downstream processing. And if you want to get really futuristic, that feature doesn't exist today, but I think that's where the automation needs to head. And that's why like, I thought, you know, somebody needs to start a company to solve these problems is the future that we put a stop in this kind of data movement model and say, okay, if where we want to get to is, you know, rightful owners of the data, independently changing, independently evolving, but yes, we want to have cross-cutting analytics and machine learning model. We have to define new data sharing APIs that in fact are about receiving the computation, pushing the computation further and further up into those data products, right? If I'm training a machine learning model and I'm doing kind of matrices operations, can I do this distributedly on the right source of the data, no matter what platform they come from? And I think that goes beyond just having a SQL type that is about sucking data out. It's about pushing the competition upward and only sucking the bits that are really valuable to the outcome that you're generating. And, and I don't think we're there. I know there are a few startups that are getting, thinking about this kind of federated machine learning training model and so on. But I think it's a movement that needs to happen, right? For this model to be practical. Mm-hmm. But I guess the simplest way of implementing this, like every team has uh, some way of accessing data and you as the playlist team, you just pull it to your place and then crunch it and then create your product, right? Yes, yes. And then you have to think about the simplest way. What is the minimal set of guarantees and information that I need to publish and provide to other teams so that they can discover, so that they can understand? It was fine maybe to go to one centralized data team and say, hey, knock on the data team. Can you run this analytics? Can you find this data? Can you create this data? But that model won't work when you are in this distributed way. So standardizing those APIs that describe and provide metadata and so on is it's also key in addition to the data itself. Mm-hmm. So it's decentralized, but there are some sort of central parts. Is this API that you mentioned, this layer of indirection? So we should define this in advance. So teams know how to communicate to each other. And when we create a new domain, a new team, it follows the same API. So if somebody needs to consume data from this new team, they already know how to do this because it's the same across all the entire company, right? Absolutely. Decentralization and centralization are two sides of the same coin. So if you and I are on two separate computers, two different time zones, but we managed to have this conversation with all of those folks on the Q&A and on the chat, the reason for it is that we didn't say, oh, hang on, everyone, we shall be all on the same server to talk to each other. No, the reason was that because that we've got TCP IP stack that communicates and standardizes the seams, the interconnectivities, 
And then it gives us autonomy to be in whatever stack that we want to be locally. So yeah, absolutely the same thing exists with data mesh that we've got to standardize some cross-cutting concerns and one place to start with anything that is about interconnectivity. So interconnectivity of these nodes, so you can imagine them, as you said, like discovering them and joining them involves information about discovering this thing, like what information it shares to say what it is in a standardized way, like what language or what modeling language it uses to describe its data, its the interfaces for the data sharing that you mentioned or computation sharing, its identity management. I mean, the thing that sucks most, frankly, right now in data world is the security authentication authorization and just modes of accessing, validating access to data. Every technology has its own. And just even on a single cloud provider, <laughs> even that is not you know sorted out so that you can, from independent services, independent accounts, access resources. So we've got to come to an agreement around that. And you know, there's a ton of learning. I mean, we've done internet, so we can always go back and see what were the key innovations, a small number of innovations that allowed this federated model of capability sharing, right? And apply that to data. And that's an interesting metaphor with TCP IP. And you, I think you mentioned this set of guarantees multiple times, and I suspect it's related to the second principle, right? So the second principle is data as a product. Maybe can you tell us more about this principle? So what is it about? Yeah, absolutely. So that what drove data meshes was autonomy, was independence, was be able to have infinite scale of different domains, different parts of the business and, you know, this domain oriented ownership. But very quickly, that can turn into a siloing problem, right? Well, I'm in playlist domain and I have the data that I want and I would like suck in somehow the data from other places and keep it for myself. And how are we any better than the siloing of application databases that we have today. So uh, data as a product was to invert a relationship with data and think about data as a product that we share and we measure the delight and happiness of the data user. And that's different from a relationship we have today, which is data is an assets that we collect and is precious and we don't necessarily want to share with anybody, right? So data as a product is a set of kind of underpinning practices and again technology that really focuses on the consumer first. Let's say I am a listener onboarding, like I build a listener app, a registration apps and whether through call center or whether through you know web or mobile, I receive listeners and I capture information about them. My job is really optimize that process for the conversion from, oh, I'm interested in this app to, no, I want to get a free access and then try it and then pay for it. It's very smooth. So if I'm that team, then I'm generating a ton of data, right? The touch points with the user at the time of interest or registration. So then if I just collected that data, let's say I got events from the plays, you know, players or applications or web pages, and then I put them in some database or stream them, and then maybe someone downstream started kind of using them with difficulty. We want to change that and say, hey, you listener team, of course, your responsibility is optimizing the process of you know engaging with listeners through registration, but also 
you're responsible for the data that you're generating to share that data with the rest of the organization based on their needs. And you get measured. As a product, you have a set of KPIs that measures the success of your role as a data product owner. And then from that, then you can think about, okay, if I'm giving a product or sharing a product or selling a product, like I'm building a product, what are the characteristics that I need to be able to articulate and share for the audience to do a self-assessment, whether it's the right product for me or not? And one of those characteristics is about all of the information that you need to share for a consumer to trust your data and then self-assess its usability. And when you think about establishing trust, it's about bridging the gap between what you know and what the customer needs to know. And to bridge that gap, a set of information that need to share are guarantees of your product or of your data product. And then you can think about the guarantees as quality and timeliness and integrity and completeness and a whole set of information that changes all the time, right? It's not a static, oh, I shall have this level of completeness. No, in fact, that constantly changes and allow for that and then measure whether you are meeting those guarantees or not and adjust, right, your implementation. uh, I guess if we come back again to that example of the playlist team consuming clicks from the player team, so as the playlist team, we want to be certain that like there are no big problems with the quality of this data. And this is one of the guarantees we kind of expect from the player team. Or if there are problems, we also expect this team to tell us about this. And this is like the contract between us, our domain, and their domain. If we have this, then their data, the clicks, is the product that we consume, right? Exactly. That's exactly it. And that assessment is really a conversation. So data product owner or data product manager is like a role that data mesh introduces job is to have that conversation with users that are domains that are interested in that data and say, okay, look, today, 80% of us consumers are happy with kind of low integrity, but real time, because they've been building dashboards about anomaly detection and how the player is failing or or working. But now we have these playlist folks. So they're actually not interested in every single event or every single click. What they're interested in is a bit more high integrity sessions of a interaction. So from the moment that somebody starts playing the application, what music they listen to, in what order, which ones they skip, which ones they listen. So they're only interested in a holistic view of maybe all of the listeners or they look for aggregates they don't even look for you know every single kind of customer they want to see all of the customers on all of the tracks the relationship between those so then in those conversations you go okay actually i have a data product about player click stream but i need to now create another data product or i need to create a new way of accessing this data product that gives the aggregate views that they're looking for and yes it's going to be less real time now the guarantee becomes maybe this hourly, whatever the processing window that makes sense for that aggregate. But through that conversation, then you decide who should be building this product. Is it really the player team that should be building it? Or is it someone in the middle or the consumers themselves? And then you manage your product ecosystem in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, then each team has this uh, data product managers that you mentioned, and it's their job to agree who is doing what, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Their, their job is managing their data as a product mm -hmm. for all of the spectrum of consumers, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's the next principle? I think it's, uh, I have it in the notes, it's principle of self-serve data platform. So can you unpack it? So I mean, what is self-serve? What is data platform? Yeah, absolutely. I must say the platform by definition should be self-serve. So self-serve is almost a redundant word in that phrase, but I wanted to kind of really emphasize and make it bold so we don't forget it. If you think about this model of, okay, autonomous business focus, so I take people that are focusing on a particular domain, teams are now you know, accountable for data products and their data computation pipeline, their data APIs. That's a lot of responsibility. And the way that data systems or data platforms or data infrastructure is provided today, that requires a high level of expertise. And that almost makes data machine possible from day one because we can't recruit all of these people. What does that even mean? So I put that there as a placeholder to say, if we really want to empower and enable these embedded data people in the domains, we need to rethink and reimagine our data platforms to make life of a, I don't know, a vanilla developer really easy to generate data products or use data products, or the life of an analyst really easy to consume that data and be able to play with it. So we don't have to constantly introduce this intermediary role of, oh, analyst engineer, or analyst is an engineer, and, or ML engineer. Maybe we can make that a little bit smoother, and that requires really rethinking our approach to data technology in a way that removes that high degree of specialist. But of course, you still need to have development experience and so on and understand like characteristics of data, statistical modeling, like that. Of course, there's capabilities that depending on your role producer or consumer need to have, but that proprietary tech expertise that you need today need to get reduced and then you know the surface of this platform needs to kind of go up a little bit in terms of abstraction so it was really a place for learning in the book you know i give examples of value stream like a working model the day in a life of a data product developer the day in a life of a data product consumer and what is their level of abstraction that they can expect from the platform to do their job easy to do their job fast to do their job right and i think that's missing right a lot of organizations are building that right now because it just doesn't exist. Yeah, and, and, and so my mission is, the next 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 mission is build a technology that delights the experience of data developers, whether they're consuming or, I know I'm just using um, umbrella term data developers, but consuming or producing. That's the, that's the third principle. Okay, so data platform, if I can attempt to summarize, is a place where somebody who is not necessarily a data engineer, who doesn't know how Spark works, who doesn't know how Kafka works, who doesn't know all these things, they can just come, find the data they need, query it, and do some analysis, and then maybe pull this data and start using it for, for their team, for their products, right? So they don't need to hire a team of data engineers to be able to do this. Yeah, and I, and I think, I mean, We've got to be careful with that because that soon very quickly becomes, oh, I need to have a no-code, low-code platform that mm -hmm. nobody okay. can test and understand after a while. So I'm definitely not advocating for that. I think 
software engineering practices or good engineering practices are evergreen and has to be built. But I think there is a set of services. So someone might say, look, I am producing a data product or I'm consuming a data product and I want to work with data frames or that. So they might still use Spark as part of their work, but they don't have to worry about scaling it or running it or scheduling it. And, and they don't have to worry about, oh, this is just a vertical. I'm just writing the pipeline. And then I have to worry about the storage part of it. And then I have to worry about the security part of it. There is a new experience generated that says, look, if you ask for initialize the data product, I will give you all of the aspects involved in a data product. And you just focus on that little part spark code that you have to write for data, data processing or that mm -hmm. SQL that you have to do. You don't have to worry about anything else. So you, we might mm -hmm. still code and know something, have an ex visibility to these tools, but your experience using those tools changes quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And when you said that we need to reimagine our data platforms, it was plural platforms, right? So it, each team has its own platform or we have a one big global one or how does it work usually? Yeah, I think it's everybody wants one giant big data platform that serves everybody's needs, right? Yeah, that sounds cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> to have one. Is that reality? I, I don't think so. I, you see, data mesh by at its heart embraces chaos and complexity. So then if you embrace chaos and complexity, then your solution has to be able to deliver value fast, reliably, and responsibility despite the human chaos and complexity. And if I right now said, oh, you decentralize all of teams and one platform to rule them all, that is against <laughs> that principle that I just mentioned. So I think, again, with the platform, what reality that is happening is that large organizations where data mesh makes sense, complex organizations, each almost each country sometimes, each business, like they have their own technology and tooling and they don't want to standardize. So then the parts of the platform, again, we talked about this, right? That you standardize and you have common capabilities are what interconnects these platforms in terms of data sharing. And the parts that you probably don't care, like, I don't know, if one team wanted to use Prefect or Airflow, whatever, for their data processing, so be it. Another team might be using some serverless technology for their data product, like the computation with the data processing, that's okay. But as long as those two can share data, discover, understand, share and use and connect data, then have as many platforms as you want, right? Mm -hmm. Is it related by any chance to the next principle of data governance or what was actually, I don't remember. It's uh, governance, yeah, right? Yeah, federated computational governance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is it related? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, all of these principles. They, I have a diagram in the book that describes like relation of these things together and why there is four and not three. And in fact, I didn't have the first one for a while, and then I added it because based on experience, I realized, oh God, like if you don't get this right, we're we're doomed. It is the cross-cutting concerns that we need to agree upon as an ecosystem of independent nodes on the mesh and need to be able to implement in an automated computational fashion. So governance is a word that we use a lot in the data space. In fact, it's a word that is not as much used in a um, kind of microservices operational world. We just call them policies or cross-cutting concerns. So I use the same language that data community uses, uses the word governance. And it's to me, it's one of those kind of scary words that 
is very hard to implement without putting controls that slow people down. So I had to add the federated and computation to it to fit in this model. But yes, so, you know, the problem that can arise from diversity of the platforms or diversity of the data products and independence of those is, again, lack of trust at a global level, right? Now that every team is doing its own thing in terms of data sharing, the privacy is policies that is important to the company, not just to one team, but important to the company are implemented. How do we know that we are all talking the standard language when we're exposing data? So those common cross-cutting concerns around all of the existing governance concerns like privacy, security, various policies, as well as a standardization for intercommunication need to be implemented, but need to be implemented in a way that, again, it embraces the complexity and chaos of the organization, embraces the moving fast, but responsibly not breaking things. So then it says, okay, if we, again, apply engineering to the problem, I, I did come from a very software engineering heavy view of the world, and I admit that. How did we solve this before? Again, go back to the internet or go back to my source. How did we solve that before? We solved that with computational heavy, as in heavily automated capabilities that gets embedded into every individual in a microservices or in the individual data product. And there are many examples of that. And there are architectural ways of doing that. So that's that's the computation part, for example. Like if a team says, oh, I want to share this product and this mesh, I'm going to run this command and get all of the things that I need to have standard way. One of those things would be a way of configuring your privacy level and have the platform or the computation part take care of encryption at the right level, access control at the right level. And then the question of who defines these policies is that's a federated operating model. You know, these domain data product teams need to be part of that global conversation. And I guess this is related or actually we talked about data sharing API. Having this API belongs to this principle, right? Well, not belongs, but this principle says that you should have one, right? Yeah, this principle influences the common pieces across all of your data products. So API is one of those common pieces, but there are other common pieces, such as the policies that impact the data itself, like what's the retention policy? What's the and what's common is not that everybody has the same retention policy, but everybody has a retention policy with different values, right? Some data can be kept forever. Some data, because of its sensitivity, has to be kept only temporarily, like temporarily, I don't know, for, for a few hours. So having a thing that it says every data product shall have a retention policy is a common characteristic, but then automating configuration and enforcement and validation of that policy is the platform piece. And then given autonomy to the teams to define what the value for that retention policy is, is the domain-oriented piece of it. And then exposing that policy as part of your data product discovery or understanding information is the data product part of it. So, so it does impact all of these pieces mm -hmm. in a way. Okay. And I apologize that I forgot about questions and we have a couple of them. And I think this could be related to what we just discussed, all these four principles. The first one is what is the most important thing about data mesh for us to understand, learn and adopt? What is the most important thing to learn? Is that the question? To understand, learn and adopt. So we can start with the understand part probably first. 
Yeah, I mean, I had a lot to do last year, but I decided to sit down and write this book so that I can put every information that you need to know to understand it. And I think if you just, I'm not trying to sell my book there, we can share a link that you can freely access with a short period of time on O'Reilly. That's what O'Reilly offers. But I think when I wrote this book from the perspective of what people need to know to understand before this concept completely bastardized by the industry into something unrecognizable was first, you know, need to understand why, as in what conditions have led us to think about data machine in the first place. And if those conditions don't apply to you, don't even bother about the rest. And then second is the what, like what are the first principles that drive this definition so that you can think for yourself how to apply those first principles to your exact implementation and then the third is how, right? And the how involves both, both from technology, architecture, and organizational change. There is an organizational change. And, and yeah, yeah, I think you've got to kind of top down understand it today. If we were five years in future and data mesh was just BAU, like everybody did data mesh, and there are so many tools that help you bootstrap, maybe as a practitioner, the question around why and what has been answered, and you only need to focus on how. And even then, there is a platform that serves you. You don't need to like get too philosophical about it. You can just like run a command and get data products. And that's just, just how the life is implemented. So then data mesh really moves into the background. It becomes just the way we do things, right? We don't even talk about it. But if you ask me that question today, we still need to be informed about why and how, because there is so much misinformation and <laughs> opportunistically published, incorrect in many cases, content out there that I would, as a learner, want to protect myself against that and have a way to think and judge for myself. And then there was another part, like what is the most important thing about data mesh for us to adopt? And I think it's related to question from Jeffrey which is what is the best way to start implementing data mesh from scratch? Yeah, I think it's part five of the book. It's actually just that. I introduced the whole model around kind of iterative, end-to-end, kind of business-driven, again, use-case-driven way of implementing this. And I give a ton of tools around even how to measure you doing the right thing, how to select the first domains, how to select the first capabilities of your data product. So there's a lot of content in the book that I recommend for you if you're interested to have a look. But in short, I would say, start with the first self-assessment. Are you ready? There's a spider graph in the book that says, like, if you want to apply data image today, you really need to have, you know, top-down support because you're talking about the transformation. It's not like a little skunk work project you can do in the corner of somewhere and say, I've got data mesh, it's a scale problem. So yeah, do you have your executive support? Do you have you know the type of technologies you need to have? Do you have the right data ops or DevOps practices? There's a lot of software engineering involved in doing data mesh. So, so start with the self-assessment, find allies, find parts of organization that lend themselves to this model first and start small with use cases that touch, you know, one or two domains. Don't start with a marketing use case because they need data from all of the domains to do the smallest piece of value. Yeah, and you build your platform iteratively and don't start with completely decentralized models. Start with a team of that different disciplines that come together, like different domains or platform team or governance team come together, but they work very collaboratively initially. And then 
once you establish your ways of working and your interoperability layers, then you can kind of become fully autonomous and decentralized. Do you know of any good reference implementation for data mesh where we can look at this and learn from this? So, super good question. I don't. So, short question, nothing that's publicly available that I can point to say, go look at that implementation. That's a good one. But there is a talk that a colleague of mine and I gave a while back on ThoughtWorks. ThoughtWorks has a data mesh website and there is one around, I think, lessons learned. And in that one, we share a little bit about the technology that we use. But there isn't a Git repo that I can point to and say, go have a look at what this guy's done. Looks pretty good. One other place I would say, go and have a look, is the Data Mesh Learning Slack channel and Data Mesh Learning Meetup. There are a bunch of case studies people have shared in terms of their implementation. Every implementation is slightly different and nothing looks like this future that I'm painting for you here. So we are really, really stay early stages. I went through the microservices kind of API revolution in my career and it was like 2011, 2012, where we we're excited about this, but nothing existed. Containerization didn't exist. Embedded web services didn't exist. None of it exists. So we were doing this kind of ugly microservices on top of big giant web applications. And that's that's where we are right now. We are mm-hmm. kind of band-aiding and hacking together. But those two places should give you some ways of thinking about how people have started with the technology we have today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started imagining how it will look like in 10 years. Probably will be quite exciting with some special dockers and whatnot. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Thanks a lot for sticking around for a couple of more minutes with us and in general for sharing your experience, expertise, your knowledge with us, for answering questions. That was a fun chat. I learned a lot. I think also everyone who was listening in also learned uh, a couple of new things. So yeah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me and thank you for the questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. Mm -hmm.